Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Caleb Sikaris. Originally from Providence, Rhode Island, Caleb has been resident in Gwangju, South Korea for close to a decade. You'll hear Caleb tell how he made his way from the northeast of the US to Asia, first working as an actor in numerous professional productions, Shakespeare and the avant-garde scene in New York City. We talk Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, and why an actor's life can be such a precarious one. There's also talk of what motivated Caleb to move to Asia in the first place, the strange and unusual things you'll come across while visiting smaller cities in South Korea and living the dream. Caleb and his wife now run a small bar in Kwangju called Nirvana. Of course, anyone opening a new business is not easy and especially when you open it just before the pandemic. Caleb gives us a rundown of how it came about and what they offer. It sounds like a cool place to drop by for a cocktail if you're in the neighborhood. All this and the benefits of being a really good dancer. Here's Caleb. I came to Korea in 2008. I graduated from Kent University. I got my master's degree, uh, master in fine arts. And I I was around 40 years old, almost 40. Uh, And I kept saying I like to travel, I like to travel, but I hadn't really traveled much. So... I did a little research. I spoke Spanish, so I wanted to actually go to Spain or a South American country. Spain, I couldn't go to with an American passport. It's like another step. An EU passport was easier. And South America, it didn't pay well enough for me to travel a lot. So I looked at Asia. I actually, I knew a bunch of people who had been to China. I had a friend and knew people who had been in Japan and nobody I knew had a connection to Korea. So I, I applied for jobs in Korea and it looked like a beautiful country and that's where I wound up. So it was more uh, like you split the difference, right? Instead of South America or Europe, you ended up in another continent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really did want to go back to Spain. I had studied there my sophomore year in university for a semester. And I lived with a family in Madrid. And I, you know, at first I had a girlfriend at the time and I missed her and I was lonely. And I was kind of like a sad sack, like (laughs) open around. And then after about a month, I'm like, okay, I was getting used to it. I started speaking the language pretty fluently. And, uh, I started having a really nice time and I wanted to go back, but there weren't, there weren't a lot of jobs for me. And I was an actor. I was a theater artist. I knew I'd wind up teaching English probably, but I, I just felt discouraged. So I actually wound up in Korea. Maybe we can talk about your academic background. In undergraduate, I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, which is this very liberal, small liberal arts college. 
and I studied theater and Spanish. Those were my majors. I studied performance, and then I took a long break. I was, I was making a career of it as an actor in the Northeast of the United States, and I wound up in New York for a good eight years. And as, as they say about New York, you kind of, uh, you become a little burned out. I, I visited my undergraduate university, one of my teachers there, I literally just walked in the hallway and he saw me and he's like, oh, this one's toast. <laughs> like, okay. He's like, you look like toast. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of rough, but maybe true. <laughs> I guess so he's seen I, it all uh, before, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I, I want to leave New York. I don't want to leave the theater. So I, I applied to some programs to get my graduate degree to kind of be in a little bubble again. Uh, and I went to Kent State University in Ohio because they paid my way. And it's a teaching university. So I had to teach some classes. And I got my master's degree in, in acting, my master of fine arts. So that's that's my educational background did you enjoy much success in your in your career in new york and elsewhere what what kind of productions were you looking for i mean life as an actor much as a, a musician or anyone involved in the the arts per se it's uh it can be a struggle from time to time yeah from time to time <laughs> i'm speaking metaphorically you know it can it can be secure from time to time <laughs> if we're looking at that point of view yeah yeah you know the early career, I, I really, I mixed it up. I was teaching a little bit in, I taught for like a community center, like a, a theater class for troubled youths. I taught theater in a public middle school, a tough public middle school in New Haven, Connecticut one year. I had a theater home early in my career. I was in New Haven, Connecticut. I worked with a Shakespeare company in New Haven um, called the Elm Shakespeare Company for five years. We did free outdoor Shakespeare in the summers at this beautiful park there. And uh, I really cut my chops uh, as an actor with Shakespeare. And I also, as I started auditioning in New York more from New Haven, I, I got more connected to what you would say is the avant-garde scene in New York. So I, I did Shakespeare for a good bit of my early career, and I did some in New York. But as I, as I transitioned to New York as an actor, I just did what every actor does who's, who doesn't have an agent. You go into the... I, I became union the hard way. I earned points uh, working at equity theaters, and I would audition three or four days a week at the union building. I'd line up at 6 a.m. The building would open at 8. Uh, there would be two or three auditions per day in different rooms, and you had to wait in line and sign up and hope for, I think there were 128 slots per day. So from 9 a.m. or 9.30 to 5, you got two or three minute slots. So you had to make sure you were there early enough to to wait in line to get a slot. Winter, summer, fall, spring, didn't matter. So winter, you're there in the freezing cold for two hours waiting in line. The building opens, you line up, nine o'clock, they sign you up and you hope for a time slot, for an early time slot or whenever you want it. So in New York, I did that for, for about eight years total. What, what kind of results did you get from it? Were you sometimes lucky, sometimes you missed things or was it, how did that work for you? I guess I'm a bit of a, a masochist by nature. <laughs> okay. 
most of my success was because I coincidentally met people. It was rarely through auditions, which is still mind-boggling to me. The, the amount of time you put in, I mean, you wake up at 4.30 a.m. sometimes. I lived in Brooklyn, New York for most of my New York year. And you wake up at 4.30, you dress up in your audition clothes, you make sure you look presentable, unless it's a role where you have to look like shit, and then you just roll out of bed and go. Uh, you take the subway and hope you get there by 6 a.m. So you're investing basically from 4.30 to 9.30 just to get a two-minute time slot. And I'd say I can't remember more than one or two times I got a role from an audition at the union building. So in New York, I got roles because somebody I knew from undergraduate was having success and called me into audition for their company in New York, which was an off offer. Eventually they had more success. So I wound up off Broadway a couple times through a great little theater called Adobe Theater Company. They would get the agents to come. They got reviewed in the New York Times. And one time I was off Broadway with them, my role was not listed in the program. It was a Pirandello play. And I was like a plant in the audience. So nobody knew I was an actor. And the lights came up at intermission and I start kind of fighting with another audience member about the meaning of the play. And then I storm out of the theater. And the New York Times Review mentioned this. They're like, these two audience members were fighting. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, so I'm coming back tomorrow to see if that was an accident or part of the play. When was it you actually left then, uh, Caleb? What, what time frame were we talking about in, when you are in New York? I was in New York. Uh, I did a year right out of undergrad. So I was there, I think it was 93 to 94. I went right to New York for a year. And I, I had no right to be there. <laughs> I, I lived, at the time I was getting married, and I lived in New York for a year. And I had a little studio apartment in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. It was a gorgeous little room with a wood-burning fireplace. And I tried acting a little bit, and I was done. I was like, this is, this is not nice. I'm not ready. I went back to Connecticut. And uh, that's where I started connecting with New Haven, Connecticut, in a smaller market. Did the auditions there. And, I mean, I had my, my first professional gig in Connecticut, I got very lucky and wound up with, with the most famous playwright that America's seen in 50 years, Tony Kushner, who wrote Angels in America. I wound up my first play was at Hartford Stage there with him and a great director. But I wound up back in New York, I think it was uh, 96 or 97, I went back. And I was still acting with Elm Shakespeare Company in Connecticut in the summers, but I really tried to give acting a shot around 96, 97. And I moved to Brooklyn, New York. So it was about seven, eight years. In the, in the middle of that, it was 2000, 2001, I started my own theater company off, off Broadway called the Breakaway Theater Company. Just for anyone who's, who doesn't know or who's curious, they might have heard the, I think everyone knows the, the, the term Broadway or on Broadway, but then you've added a couple of offs to it. So there's off Broadway. I haven't been to New York myself many years ago. I know roughly what you're, what you're talking about, but how would you define or how would you explain to someone who doesn't know off, off Broadway? 
it's it's defined by the size of the theater. So off off Broadway, technically it's like one to ninety nine seats. Off Broadway would be a hundred to four hundred ninety nine. And Broadway, technically, it's 500 or more. People think of the larger theaters. I don't know if that's changed in the last 15 years, but that's what it used to be. I think technically it would have to do with if you're union or not, you know, the union would control how much you can charge for a ticket price, what your budget can be, that sort of thing, and what you would have to pay the actors as a minimum at each level. And would you say like some of these off-Broadway off productions, they do they ever go off-Broadway and then to Broadway? And yeah, well, the... The play where I was, I think it was the one where I was a plant in the audience, was originally an off-off-Broadway play, and it moved off-Broadway. So it did, and it had a limited run. That's the plan, because budget-wise, it's, it's a hell of a lot of money to go from off-off to off. But that play moved off Broadway. And I think it was like, you know, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Yeah, that started, uh, the guy who did the music, Stephen Trask, went to my undergrad. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And that, I think, started as a workshop somewhere, which is a, even a lower level than off-off-Broadway generally. And I think it started, maybe it started at some regional theaters, like off-off, and that then it opened off-Broadway, but there have been revivals on Broadway. So it does happen. It's, I don't know the numbers, I'd say it's probably one in a hundred. Right, it's uh, slim pickings. Yeah. So what about the, this transition then between your, let's call it your, the path that you've already taken here through uh, your, your career and through your academic career, and then you end up in, was it Kwangju that you started in South Korea, or were you somewhere else before there? Yeah, you know what, I, it was during graduate school I got divorced. And I, I live near, I have an older brother in Ohio who's a doctor and he's very, very good at what he does. And he's a great family man and he's very successful in his life. And I was doing okay as an actor and, and my career there, but I was, I had gotten divorced and I was getting older. And I said, you know, I really want more out of life. And I don't know, part of that may have been prompted by seeing my brother's success and his family, and I said, this world is bigger than, than this, and I'd like to see it. So I applied for, I don't remember, I think I used a recruiter, and I got connected to this, this man wanted to interview me in Chun Chun, in Gangwondo. Mm -hmm. And his name was Jay Shim. He ran a hagwon, an academy after school, and I got very lucky because to this day, Jay Shim probably has the best English of any Korean I've met. And he was, he was a fantastic boss. He was a nice person. He and his wife ran a hagwon, uh, Shim's Language Academy. It's still going well. And he hired me and he flew me over. I was met at the airport, I think it was 1 a.m., by somebody who worked at the Hagwon. And uh, they drove me from Incheon to Chuncheon, which was probably two hours or something. And I remember on the drive, I was kind of in a haze. I remember this feeling I, myself. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that feeling all too well, like yesterday. 
travel much growing up. I mean, my longest flight was probably when I went to Spain in college was about six hours. But I remember after 14 hours of flying and the car ride, just seeing all of these neon crosses. As I'm, I couldn't believe it because I thought in my head, I said, I thought Korea was Buddhist <laughs> and Jewish. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a very religious Jew, but as we're driving, I saw all of these crosses and I'm thinking, what, what has happened here? <laughs> Nobody told me so, this. Yeah, I guess I'd better convert. Uh, but yeah, we, we got to on and they, they got me to my apartment at like 3 or 4 a.m. And they're like, we'll see you in the morning. And I'm like, okay. Sure. <laughs> they literally handed me, like, here's some bread and a banana. And we'll be back at 9 a.m. for breakfast. <laughs> okay. I didn't know how to turn on the lights. I, I didn't know how the bathroom worked. It was it was a ridiculous situation. I just fell asleep and, you know, at the door in the morning, knock, knock. So my life began. And uh, how long were you in, is it Chuncheon? Chuncheon, yeah. yeah. How long were you there for the? I was there for one year. It's a gorgeous city. I, I really enjoyed it. If my memory serves me rightly, Chuncheon is the home of uh, Dak Kalwi. It's the best food in Korea, period. Okay, my memory does serve me well. <laughs> I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, it's been because I left 2017, but yeah, old memories last long. Some good Dak Kalwi and some cold beers in that, you, you can't go wrong. Yeah. You know, Chunchun was a, to me, I came from Providence, Rhode Island is where I grew up. And that's a city of about 200,000 people. And uh, Chunchun at the time, it was about 300, 350,000. It's exploded now. But uh, it was a beautiful city. I had a little mountain right outside my apartment. I would climb it five days a week and uh, get a nice view of this little city. I'd walk to work. The walking paths in that city were fantastic. They had an international puppet festival, an international theater festival. They had beautiful islands and temples. It's a fantastic city. I loved it, but I left it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to did here's the butt. Okay. What, yeah. was the, what, what was the next step then? Was uh, you had a good year? And this gave you uh, an inclination to stay longer? Yeah, I, at the end of the year, I, I think it was just, I had a very good time. I actually did, did a one-man show in Chunchun while I was there. My boss knew I was an actor and supported that. He loved the arts. Um, but I had a friend who I met in Chunchun who went down to Guangzhou and he said, you should come down here and teach us on university. They're hiring. So I decided to apply. I interviewed and I got the job. So I, I wound up, I came back and I, I moved to Guangzhou from Chunchun. And how did that, uh, as we were saying just before we kind of started recording, that was uh, another seven years? Yeah, I was there seven, seven solid years. Tell us about it. I, you know what it was? I think... I think the first year in Chunchun, I had in my mind, I'm going to travel within Korea. And, you know, part of the reason I really went to Korea was to travel more and see the world. 
And I did uh, every at least once a month, but it was really more frequently. I'd pick a city or a, a destination and I'd travel there on the weekend. So I remember going to like Hong. I remember going to some place on the East Coast that by accident I came across. It was like a city famous for uh, penises, like a penis park on the water. It was a fishing village. And I was walking around and suddenly there were these huge phalluses everywhere. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, every weekend I'd what am I going to find this weekend? I took photos and sent that to my parents. They couldn't believe it. They're like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> Is this legal? Um, <laughs> living the dream. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. Um, but when I moved to Guangzhou, you know, I had taught at university back in the States in graduate school. And after graduate school, I was an assistant and adjunct professor for a couple of years. So it, it wasn't, you know, out of the blue, but teaching EFL was a different egg. So at the, at the college level, I really had to get my feet wet and figure out how to do it right. But I also had more vacation time. Did you settle down more in Kwangju? Yeah, I think I know what you're asking me here. I did get married. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? I, I had a great time. My friend who had invited me to the university there. I worked in a very large department. I met a lot of great people, including some people you know, like Derek Hannon, who ran Speakeasy. It was just some wonderful people from around the world who just open your mind. And the idea of people becomes more accessible because all of these people you work with are from different parts of the world and they all travel to different places. They're like, oh, you did Kofanyan, you should really do Pattaya, you should really do, you know, other locations in Vietnam where I wound up going. The reason I mentioned Derek Hannon and Speakeasy is because apparently I'm not a big party guy, in spite of the mushroom story. <laughs> Contrary um, to belief, yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to Speakeasy one night and I think I went on my own. And this is the way the story's been told to me. It was full. I think a band was playing. Maybe somebody I knew was in the band. And there was one seat available at a table full of people. And I sat down. Apparently, this, this young, younger Korean lady was asleep next to me. She woke up and looked at me and said, who are you? And that's how I met my future wife. So that's her take on it. We met at <laughs> And uh, the other side of that is, I think she saw me dancing that night and she thought I was a very good dancer. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> no, so, take it while it's going, man. <laughs> <laughs> go with it. So we, we started dating and we didn't date that long and we got engaged and we got married. And we both, you know, we had similar interests. We both really enjoyed music and we, we loved other styles of music. We both loved travel. She traveled probably more than I had in her 20s. She'd been all over Europe. I'd barely touched Europe. And uh, we, we wanted to have kids. So we got married and, and we've now, that was I think my second or third year in Guangzhou. And we had two boys who drive us crazy. 
good. <laughs> it's a yeah. it's a nice end to the story. Yeah? And then you you took a you took a couple of years out to go back to the states. You came back yeah. to South Korea quite recently. Yeah, we we came back in uh, August. It's been a year. We came back in August of 2019 specifically to start a business. We had talked about running, you know, we talked about different businesses in the past. As a, you know, as an artist in my past, I wanted to, I enjoyed being on my own. I enjoyed being my own boss. Um, I'm used to working collaboratively, but I like independence. And even at the university job, you know, you have responsibilities and significant responsibilities, but you also have to kind of do your own work. Um, you have to prepare for the classes. You have your own style of teaching. You're not, you're not being micromanaged, generally speaking, at least I wasn't. And I don't like being micromanaged. So we wanted to start our own business. And we wound up coming back to Korea to start a bar, which is now, it's called Nirvana which references both Buddhism and peacefulness and music. And it's in Jisandong in Gwangju, which is pretty close to Joseon University. And how's business been the last, uh, since it opened? I mean, you, you do live performances? Yeah, we're, we're a pretty small bar. We, we have, maybe we could seat about 35 people when we're full. So we have an electric piano in one little area of the room and we have a guitar. So we've done some live events. I think the largest act we've had is three people at a time, and that's pushing it. Um, but we do. We do about every six weeks, we have a live music event, which is pretty, you know, some electric, but some acoustic. And it's been very popular. Those events are very popular. But we opened, and two weeks later, basically, Corona, the COVID, hit Korea. So we're doing okay, but we're, we don't really know yet what we're capable of as a business because it's all been Corona. What, what kind of speciality is your bar then? How would you describe it? You know what, originally we, you know, we have different ideas. It was East meets West. So there are, there are some gentle themes of, you know, really as Buddhism, like we have a Buddhist fountain in a corner. The fountain is broken, so we have a Buddhist statue. <laughs> we have... We have a clock that says now that doesn't really move. There's just a clock that says now. We have, it's a very clean, intimate bar. I'd say my angle is cocktails. I like making cocktails. We want to be clean. We want to be affordable. But we're a cocktail bar, basically, that has some nice music playing on the, on the Bluetooth speaker and that hosts some live events sometimes. And that's what we are. Excellent. Uh, where can we find you on social media, Caleb? We're on Instagram, but mostly our posts are on Facebook. It's it's Nirvana Guangzhou. Uh, that's, we do posts on some uh, some groups in Guangzhou on the Facebook page, and it, it connects to our Instagram page, too. You have a lot of mixed crowds coming in, then, since it's next to the university. You have some some of the university kids themselves but you have some of the, the expat community joining you? Yeah, we do get some of the whippersnappers in there. Some of the, we always say, you know, we, we don't want to be a, a college uh, bar. 
That's not our thing. And we're not right at Chosun. We're a few streets over. We have a really nice mixed customers. We have about 50-50 foreigners or Koreans and non-Koreans, I should say. We're not foreigners. It's our country, too. Yeah. Our age breakdown is really nice. You know, Derek said to me when we were talking before I went to America, he said if he were to start a bar again after Speakeasy, he'd probably start a bar for like people. He said it like people our age. <laughs> <laughs> people in, in their 40s, like 30s and 40s. Right. And Quote unquote, more responsible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's right, actually. We're, you know, and that's kind of what we've done. We do get, from the beginning, I think, uh, Yanu and I both realized if we're going to succeed, you don't depend on your friends. They're going to be there. They're going to come. But this is a business. And we're a neighborhood bar. We're not in downtown where Speakeasy is and other bars are. We don't get the crowds. We're in a neighborhood. So when we see neighborhood people who say, oh, I live next door. I live across the street. And they're almost all Korean. And they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s and up. We get some customers that are older that come every couple of weeks. That makes me happy. So we're, we're about 50-50. The expat community is solid supporting us, and so is the local community. So it's nice. Excellent. That's good to hear. But uh, anyone who's ever been to South Korea, or for anyone who hasn't, there's a lot of bars and there's a lot of places to go and socialize. So it's nice if you can support your local, uh, you know, your local. Yeah. I like it when people come in and, and there are definitely people who are a little nervous to come in when they see me sitting there on my stool and the bar is empty and there's this person from another country with a weird mustache and balding. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell is this? And you see the looks like, oh, I want to go in. And then the boyfriend will kind of be like, no, 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 let's go to a regular place. <laughs> but and those those people eventually come in and they you know i'll speak to them if they're korean and korean and they say i've been meaning to come here is it okay if i come alone and i i get that question a lot i'm like of course it is come in have a drink relax there's no pressure to drink like a fish you know spend a little time here meet some people which i see people meet other people all the time and that just makes me happy you know Good stuff. Yeah. Just like to say, I think Guangzhou is a great city. It's a, it's a much larger city than where I'm from. And generally speaking, if you certainly I've studied hard to learn the language at a level I'm at, but it took a lot of effort for what I consider to be not as, as great a result as I wish. <laughs> but you know, Every day is a school day, Caleb. Yeah, it's a lot of people feel that way. It's a tough language, but it's really a city that has a lot to offer. Guangzhou is a great place to be. Well, I always say to people who've, who are moving to South Korea or who are thinking about it, you know, move. Uh, maybe you don't want to move out of Seoul. Maybe this is where you want to be based or there's more opportunities there. But like we were saying earlier about in Chuncheon, you know, there's some great places out in the country, smaller towns. Yeah. Uh, Kwangju is not particularly a small city per se. It's 
I don't know how many million people, but it's big, you know, in, in this sense. There's a lot of people there, but you go there, you Daegu, Pohang, whatever it may be, there's lots and lots of places that make Korea, South Korea in particular, quite unique. And I've seen all these little towns and cities that are just wonderful places. Uh, Korea's really a, a nice country, and I'm happy with my life here. There's definitely more to it than the capital. The capital does have the, like any capital city, I guess, it has the edge in some respects. Yeah. But as soon as you move out of there, the, yeah, different world. I mean, in America, I did, I did New York for a good amount of time. Both of my parents were from there. My family came over from other countries through Ellis Island. So we're the typical American story in our, in our family. New York's a great place. But just like New York, when I'm in Seoul, it has a time limit for me. You know, it's a great place to be. But for me, I don't want to live there. You've moved somewhere else. You know this. Uh, yeah, exactly. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. So nobody wants to hear my stuff. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. On Facebook at Expat Music Pod. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And wherever you get your podcasts from, I'm pretty sure you'll find us there too. Until the next one, this is Craig saying cheers.